Welcome back. I'm Logan, your host for the Daily Bible Reading Podcast, where we are journeying through the Bible chronologically, taking it one day at a time. Today is day number 59, and we're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 11 to 13. So glad that you've joined me. Let's pray as we get started. Our prayer for today comes from the book Piercing Heaven. It's called In the Beauty of Jesus, and it's by the Puritan named Robert Hawker. In your beauty, blessed Lord, we see a fullness of grace, truth, and righteousness. It corresponds exactly to the wants of poor sinners, your blood to cleanse, your grace to comfort, your fullness to supply. In you, there is everything we can want, life, light, joy, pardon, mercy, peace, happiness here, glory hereafter. Do I not see you, my King, in your beauty, when I behold you coming with all these for me? So I must cry out with the psalmist, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he is become my salvation. And that is not all, because when I see the King in his beauty, I see him also in his love. Yes, blessed Lord, you are so beautiful, for you have so loved poor sinners that you give yourself for them. And we know that our love for you did not come first, but your love to us came first. Your love prompted ours. Your love filled our hearts, and by your Spirit first prompted our minds to look toward you. That makes you lovely indeed. And now, Lord, every day's view of you increases that love and brings home your beauty more and more. The more often you stoop to visit my poor soul, the more beautiful you appear. Every appearance, every view, every glimpse of Jesus tends to make my God and King more gracious and lovely to my soul and adds fresh fervor to my love. Come then, you blessed, holy, lovely one, and ravish my spiritual senses with your beauty that my whole soul would be filled only with the love of Jesus every day. Until that day when, from seeing you here below through your grace, I come to look upon you and live forever in your presence, in the full beams of your glory, in your throne above. Amen. All right, here we go with Numbers chapter 11 to 13. If you've been following along here in Numbers, uh, you might have thought, man, things are going really well for the Israelites. Everything's shaping up, looking nice. They're heading out and they've got the glory of the Lord leading them through the wilderness. This is all looking real good. Well, the other shoe is about to drop. Uh, This is where we start to get some issues for the people of Israel. So we'll talk about it here in a minute. But you ready? Got your Bible out? Let's do it. Chapter 11. 
And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of delium. The people went about and gathered it, and ground it in hand mills, or beat it in mortars, and boiled it in pots, and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, every one at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat, for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out at your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? But Moses said, The people among whom I am number 600,000 on foot, and you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month? Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered seventy men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the seventy elders. 
And as soon as the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side, around the camp and about two cubits above the ground. And the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was yet between their teeth before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth Hata'ava, because there they buried the people who had the craving. From Kibroth Hata'ava, the people journeyed to Haziroth, and they remained at Haziroth. Chapter 12 Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, like snow, and Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp, seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. 
After that, the people set out from Haziroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Chapter 13 The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. And these were their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shamuah, the son of Zakur. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodi. From the tribe of Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gimali. From the tribe of Asher, Sether, the son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nafbi, the son of Vophsi. From the tribe of Gad, Geuel, the son of Maki. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zen to Rahab, near Labo Hamath. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. 
So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. We miss meat. What a silly complaint, right? The people are literally eating out of God's storehouse every day. They're longing for a happy meal from McEgypt. I can't imagine that someone who's received such blessing from God would lose their focus so quickly that they would forget all of his benefits and gripe about the menu. I can't imagine anyone doing this. As if you couldn't tell from my sarcastic tone, we are just like this. We feel as though God is withholding something good from us, and so we gripe and complain. Or even worse yet, since we are surrounded by such plenty, we just go after the thing that we want and leave God's concerns in the dust. So God allows the people to have exactly what they want. He fills them up with it until they are sick of it. The text literally says, until it is coming out of their nose. And ultimately, their cravings become a plague upon them. If that sounds familiar, it's because it's pretty much Romans chapter 1. In verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they had this relationship with God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Well, so what does God do then in response? In verse 24, it says, Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And obviously, Romans chapter 1 is talking about these sexual desires and lusts that are here. But in the wilderness, when their God is their stomach and they are hungry, quail satisfies much more than sexual desire. And so they're looking for food. They're looking for meat, and they want it, and God gives it to them, and it heaps burning coals upon their heads. Next, we see Moses recognizing that he can't handle these people all on his own. And let me tell you, that's a healthy place to be. He gets a little bit moody, and he brings his complaint to God. And sometimes that leads me to ask, you know, what's the difference between Moses' complaint and the people's complaint that we just saw. Well, it's not as if Moses is saying, you know, I wish I was just back in Midian taking care of Jethro's flocks. I'm upset that you ever spoke to me, God, and called me out for service to you. The fleeting pleasures of this life are far better than knowing you. No, he's admitting his limitations. He's admitting these limitations and he's leaning into God for help. He wants to be closer to God, but he's at his wit's end with these people. And so he comes to God asking for help. And God doesn't tell Moses to get his attitude under control and quit his belly aching. Instead, God gives him the help that he seeks. 
These elders come and they receive some of the Holy Spirit that rests on Moses. Now, we could go into a whole look at the Holy Spirit and the way that he functions in the Old Testament, but that's going to have to wait for another day. But we do get this interesting little side story here about the two men who were in the camp uh, who were prophesying, and Joshua tells Moses that he should stop it. But instead, Moses ultimately prophesies about the Holy Spirit dwelling on all God's people when he says in verse 29, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. In chapter 12, Moses' own flesh and blood get involved in the complaining. Apparently, Moses had married an Ethiopian or a Cushite woman who clearly came from the mixed group of people that came up out of Egypt with them. Now, it's not clear if Moses' first wife, Zipporah, had passed or not, uh, but we don't even hear why this was a problem, except for her ethnicity. But instead of really talking about that as the problem, they use it as an opportunity to put themselves on equal footing with Moses and even to lift themselves up above him. This is in no way saying that religious leaders are above accusation or complaint. If there is sin or issues that need to be addressed, then other leaders should be involved and accountability should be sought. If you ever hear a leader saying this, saying you better watch out what you say against me as the servant of God, you want to find a better leader. Recognize that Moses is meek and he never even opens his mouth to defend himself. He let God fight his battle for him. But if there is an issue and you do bring an accusation, please just make sure that your argument has at least some leg to stand on. Aaron and Miriam's racism and their petty pride are not a strong place to stand when God comes to fight this battle for Moses. He tells them that they might see visions every once in a while, but Moses talks with God directly, not in riddles, but clearly, like one would talk to a friend. So leaders, take Moses' lead here in fighting your battles with your critics. Don't shun accountability. Welcome criticism. Oftentimes we need it, because guess what? We're not Moses. But if you're in the right, then don't grow weary in well-doing. Let God vindicate you. Let your upright character put their foolish accusations to rest. Finally, we get the account of the first entrance into the land in chapter 13. Recognize we're only in chapter 13 and they're already to the promised land. It's not like they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years looking for it. They made a beeline directly to it. And so spies are sent from each tribe to survey the goods and the fortifications of the land. And they're supposed to come back and make a report so that it can be determined what they should do. And two out of the 12 give a good report. And they say that God is with them. No one can stand in their way, not even those giants from way back in Genesis chapter 6 that we saw. And if the Nephilim or the descendants of Anak confuse you, then welcome to the club. (laughs) I personally think that these are half-giants. 
that descended from a race of men called the Nephilim, who were so large because illicit sexual relations between fallen spiritual beings and human women. Uh, Go back to Genesis chapter 6. I think we talked about it a little bit there, and I may have even shared some resources with you at that point. Um, If you're curious, do check out the book by Michael Heiser called The Unseen Realm. He goes into this in much more detail. This is not the only opinion on this, but it is mine, and so I'm happy to talk about it more on the Facebook group if you are confused or just want more info. Later, when we see Goliath, I also think that he is one of these big boys. So the tribes of Judah and Ephraim, represented by Joshua and Caleb, both say, let's do it. We can do this with God's help. But the rest of the representatives are afraid of the inhabitants of the land. And they don't think that God with them is enough. And we'll see how all this plays out tomorrow. But you should see a theme here in today's passages. It wrestles with the concept of contentment and trusting in God's divine supremacy, along with humility and reliance upon God's divine provision. We can't take the least step without his help. And when we begin to think that we know better than God, or that he somehow has forgotten about us and has left us, then we are really just revealing at that moment that it's really we who have forgotten about him and not the other way around. Thank you for joining me today. I hope this has been encouraging to you. If so, please let me know by visiting the links that you find under the Connect With Us section in the show notes. I'm a simple man and I could use the encouragement. If you've been blessed enough that you would like to support the podcast, I would greatly appreciate that as well. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash dbrpodcast to make either a one-time gift or to sign up for a monthly recurring membership gift. Until tomorrow, keep reading and keep worshiping.